Hi, this is Rebecca. And this is Brandon. And welcome to the Drive Home Review Podcast. We are a couple of theater nerds who love movies and love talking about movies. And uh, inevitably disagreeing on movies. <laughs> so join us for our Drive Home Reviews Podcast. We're trying to go scriptless. How are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> so far, over two. So since we are talking about Rocky, which has morphed into Creed over the course of the years, um, let's talk representation in film. Um, So you're Italiano. Italian, Irish, Polish, but yeah, mostly mostly Italian. You present very Italian. Yes. So was seeing a guy like Rocky, did that mean anything to you growing up? Um, See, I won't necessarily say so because I didn't really get into the Rocky films until I was much older. Like, really? I, I didn't get really into the Rocky movies until, like, college, I think. I'd seen them sporadically, but I... I seem to remember, I think I did a Rocky movie marathon at one time in high school back in the blockbuster video days when you would go and uh, I'd rent one and then rent others and so on and so forth. Um, But I really didn't become a huge fan until much later on. Hmm. So I can't say that growing up it ever did, but I I know that um, during the pandemic... Uh, when we couldn't do real movie reviews, uh, that's when I would do Forgotten Gems and a series, the series. And one of the series I looked at was the Rocky franchise. I remember that was one of the first things we watched um, yes, as like, a couple. Yeah, we watched all the way straight through, starting with the, Rocky. The original going all the way up to uh, Creed Two at the time. Right. Um, so, but I, I think as an Italian, uh, and having watched it, kind of rewatching the series with that critical eye, I always I think Rocky is probably one of the best representations of Italian Americans. And your family's from New Jersey, but yeah. not far from Philly. No, so they're they are that kind of breed of East Coast Italian, right? You know, and just I think what really struck me about Rocky, especially like I said, especially rewatching it is how just anti-toxic masculinity oh yeah the, the character is and that's that's before toxic masculinity was a thing mm-hmm. i mean it existed but, but there didn't. wasn't a there wasn't a term for it <laughs> we weren't recognizing and it, it and it wasn't it wasn't seen as a bad thing right you know at the time the rocky movies were coming up late 70s and into the 80s toxic masculinity was seen as a positive right and yet you watch those series of films and just how anti all of that, anything that you could you could relate as a toxic relationship or a toxic person, Rocky just is not. He's not racist. He's not bigoted. He never raises a hand to his wife. No, he, he treats he, Adrian yeah. as a full partner. He is deeply in love with his wife. He's deeply dedicated to his family, even though... Uh, it's shown that he makes mistakes. Right. You know, he tries to learn from them. He tries to do the right thing. Um, 
And just, yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of the thing that really struck me, because especially when you think of Italian-Americans. Yeah, you're very sensitive to the Italian-American trope in movies. Yeah, I am. I'm very I'm very sensitive to the... Don't even get him started on Joey Tribbiani from Friends. God, dude. Oh, my God. I hate that guy so freaking much. Anyways, but um, the fact that there was such good representation there, I really think really speaks to how Ryan Coogler saw the movies growing up yeah and connected with them so well and then went on to write creed and produce these movies yeah and- well even like we were talking about like even even the represent representation of black uh black performers and actors and black people and culture yes told through obviously a white person's lens but still very I'm not going to say sympathetic, but um, it never felt like he talked down to them. All the the black characters in his movies were always very powerful, very sure of themselves. You know, Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed was, even though he was technically the bad guy in the first two movies, he was never a bad guy. Yeah, that's the thing is I don't think Apollo Creed, I don't think you could classify him as the bad guy. He was the obstacle. He was the opponent, I guess, if you're going... Classic terminology, the antagonist, but he was never the bad guy. He never hated Rocky. He never was out to hurt him. He was never, right. he was out to make money, you know? So, so you're saying like it's Rocky was historically good with representation. I, I really feel so. And I think even with, the Creed movies, well, Creed especially, there's representation there in multiple ways, but disability rep- representation. Oh yeah, we'll talk more about when we get into the yeah into the review. Um, I yes, I tend to think that real women tend to be underrepresented in movies um, of any ilk but especially poor women or women of color um, are underrepresented. And uh, then of course you have controversies like the little mermaid when all of creation is up in arms about having a black mermaid because this imaginary creature should obviously be Be white. white, Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like I, yeah. It's uh, but then you see these TikTok videos of these little girls watching mm-hmm. Black Ariel, and you're like, you know, like that's well, and I feel something, yeah, and I, I I feel safe in saying that I think Rocky, the Rocky franchise, which now includes the three Creed pictures, have been good with representation because there there was some guy on TikTok, um, and I, I didn't see the whole video, so like, and he was basically saying that I. He was too black for Rocky, hmm. and was basically saying that the Rocky franchise was racist, and a lot of black creators called him out on it, right? And were saying, "No, these were like some of the least racist films." The 70s and yeah, and again, 80s. especially considering the time period in which they were made. So, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think Sylvester Stallone. Maybe now he does, but I don't think Sylvester Stallone gets the credit that he deserves for 
just what a complex and important character Rocky Balboa really I mean, is. Truly, like even the movies that you could write off as being cheesy or bad, like Rocky Five, I think we watched it. You watched it for the first time. Yeah, movie, right? I, I've never seen Rocky Five, and right. most people haven't or forget that they have. And uh, the first time we watched it, like we we talked about that movie for hours, legitimately yeah. talked about it for hours afterwards, because not that it was great, but because of it, it did have a significant place in the Rocky canon. So now I will say that my ethnic background does get a lot of bad representation in media. Uh, I'm Romani um, on my mom's side, which if you use the slur terminology, it would be what people refer to as gypsies, but that is really a slur. Um, but that is definitely, I mean, I, I am hard pressed to find very good representation of Roma people in movies. Now, here's an interesting question that you bring that up. And we were just talking about the Little Mermaid. Right. Um, they they just released the cast list for the live action version of Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame, and Gal Gadot is going to be playing Esmeralda. I am not a fan, first of all, because I don't like Gal Gadot um, she, personally. She's yeah, she's <laughs> she's a lovely woman, but a charisma vacuum. Um, but there are Roma performers. Why aren't we yeah, using that's, a Roma performer? That's kind of what I was thinking. Um, so, and I'm interested to see how they represent, uh, Esmeralda, you know, because that's it of any representation of Roma. I think that's probably got to be the least problematic because it is showcasing that she is being persecuted. She's not skanky. The Roma people are actually very conservative and very like, um, I won't say prudish, but like very cautious about their bodies and, and about, um, sexuality. So like, um, the portrayal that we often get is, uh, you know, steal your chickens, curse your children, kidnap your babies Kurt. or steal things. There for was this, I, I, I did it. One of the last films I did a review of last year, this romantic comedy, I think it was called dance with me or something. And there was literally like an old gypsy woman. Mm -hmm. Like you'd expect to see in a 1930s horror movie that right. you, that you have expected to tell Lawrence Talbert not to go out in the full moon. And it's like, I'm like, I'm like, are you serious in 2022 at the time? We're, we're still doing this. Holy crap. But they are, but still one of the most discriminated against ethnicities in the world. And, um, they're like literally signs all over Europe that, you know, no, yeah. no G slur here. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of good representations. Like they're really, really, I would say maybe Jenny Callender from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Um, because 
she is represented as a modern woman. She's represented as someone who still treasures her background, but um, it's not sleeping in a wagon and stealing your children. Yeah. Um, as much as I love Criminal Minds, there's this terrible episode where this traveler family kidnaps a girl and is trying to teach their son how to like pickpocket you know like there's just so many things like that thinner the movie thinner that whole premise is problematic there was an episode of house mm -hmm. uh where he treated uh a romani kid yeah is that wait is that the one where he swallows a toothpick yeah he swallowed a toothpick is what happened yeah and there was actually, um, there's been a couple of episodes in uh, Law and Order SVU where they have, where they take place in the Roma community in New York. Yeah. Um, which are a lot, uh, a lot more, <laughs> a lot less problematic is what I'll say. So, um, yeah, I would love to see some good representation um of what the actual struggles of the roma people were you know like tracing back my my ancestry was interesting because you know we came over from persecution in europe and basically had to hide our culture to fit into the the auto industry um and factories in the 1930s and in, in eastern united states um and then faced more persecution for being dark skinned and and poor so yeah um i'd love to see a story like that you know i might yeah. just have to write it yeah um, anyways okay diversity and representation let's talk about it as we go into reviewing our movie okay before we do that just for fun okay okay, I okay. Have, i've pulled this up uh, so, because we're big Rocky fans, we are both of us. So we're gonna see. I pulled this up online, and this is uh, supposedly the ultimate Rocky movie quiz. I don't know if we'll have time to do all of them. But let's see how many we can get. Okay. All right. So, question number one: insultingly easy. Who had a cameo as Thunderlips the wrestler? Oh Rocky gosh. fights in a charity match. Hulk Hogan and the last good thing he ever did. Yeah, that was, and that was, I think, Hulk Hogan's first movie. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And it only went downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> I love Thunder in Paradise. No. Um, where does Adrian Rocky's love interest work? Oh, oh at the pet store. Oh my god! Like how? Are, Those are so easy. These are so easy. That's how he. Okay, I'm not. I'm not even gonna look at the uh, in Rocky Four. Who does Ivan Drago fight before Rocky? Ivan Drago, Apollo Creed. Yeah. Oh my god! This is the ultimate Rocky quiz. It's the easiest Rocky yeah. quiz. Yeah. Uh, what? Okay. Um, the young fighter. Oh, do you know this one? What is the name of the young fighter that Rocky trains in the fifth film? It's uh, Tommy the Machine Gun. Yes. And my phone just told me it has to update, so we're spared <laughs> the rest of these. Uh, these awful. I was. I was. We should have looked at these before we start because we were quizzing each other before we watched the movie. Right. You know. So what were some Our of the questions? Were way harder. Well, yeah. What were some of the ones that we had? Like, um. What does Adrian wear at the end of uh, the Rocky movie, the first one? And then what was the answer? I believe it's that one was the red beret, mm -hmm. and then Rocky two was a white beret. Okay. And I uh, one of the ones I gave you was list all of the major antagonists in chronological order. Ah, uh, that one's tough. Yeah. So 
Apollo Creed, Apollo Creed, Clubber Lang, Ivan Drago, Tommy Gunn, and I always forget who he fights in Rocky Balboa. Mason the Line Dixon. Oh, that is a terrible boxer name. <laughs> it was one of those really obvious ones. I'm like, really? Mason Dixon? Really? Yeah. Um, but we can't diss rock the movie Rocky Balboa because no. it has that great speech. Um, oh my God. And if you've never, I love watching reaction videos on YouTube and watching like men watch that movie for the first time and they're crying when he gives that speech. It's just like, <laughs> plus it establishes Milo Ventimiglia. Yeah. As his son. Which was, which is great casting. It though. really was. Yeah. I mean, I think he looks more like his son. And Sage Stallone did yeah. it in Rocky Five. Yeah, it did. So, uh, anyways. Anywho, all right. So, yeah. So that was a pretty pathetic Rocky quiz. That I was got, terrible. I gotta say, oh, you had a good one about what was the name? What was the real name of his dog? Right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I was wrong on that. Like, I don't know if I was right or not. Let me look it up. Well, well, so well, ask well, that question. Well, I mean, that was that was the question. So we'll, uh, we will bring you the answer when we return here in a second. So uh, stay tuned for that and our review of Creed 3. I know you will all be relieved and thrilled to hear that I was right <laughs> about the name of the dog. Um, so it was actually Rocky's Bull Mastiff, which is my favorite breed of dog. And... Uh, they the dog was named in the movie was Butkus. Butkus, and that was uh that was her real name in real life. Yeah. So yeah, I was right. Okay, let's talk Creed All right, Three. So I have been looking forward to this one. Yes. I I have been I've been biding my time and waiting because God, you know, I love the Rocky franchise and the Creed franchise. And it is well documented on this podcast and the YouTube channel before it, your your stellar love for Michael B. Jordan. You know what? And I have no shame in that. Oh, no. I have absolutely no shame Good in that. Good for you, honey. I totally I said encourage it. it. I said it at, after the first Creed movie. I said it after Just Mercy. I said it after Black Panther. I have said it after all of them that... If, if you are not on board the Michael B. Jordan train, then you are being left in the dust. This man is freaking just... he He's very good looking and charming, but also insanely talented. But he is so talented. Very talented. And from all accounts and everything you see, he's the nicest freaking guy. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like... Uh, I have not seen him give a bad performance. Right. I mean, I've not seen him in a bad movie. Right. And I and this especially goes, and even though he did not direct this one, uh, Michael B. Jordan did, but that, I also firmly want to restate uh, my allegiance to Ryan Coogler. Yeah, I've, I've uh, enjoyed every yeah. Ryan Coogler movie I've seen. Now, did you ever see Fruitvale Station? I did not. We need to go back and watch that. You know, but... I remember after seeing Creed, the first one, going, these two, these two young men are mm -hmm. gonna freaking rule Hollywood. Right. And here we are, you know, not that long removed from when that happened. 
And Michael B. Jordan is one of the most, uh, he's an A-lister. Yeah. And Ryan Coogler has directed two of the most successful films in one of the most successful franchises in history. He, Ryan Coogler could, you, you could make the argument, he made one of the most important films of this decade. Okay, yeah. In Black Panther. And then the sequel. So, I mean, these guys are going to rule Hollywood whether you like it or not. So, you better just get on, of get, on, home, get on the train. Get on the train. Speaking of ruling, Michael B. Jordan directed this one. Yes, he did. This is his directorial debut. So, we will uh, kind of be looking at not only his performance, but mm-hmm. his direction as well. So, um, and then another... Um, guy we have seen recently, Jonathan Majors, <laughs> is here. I half expected him to kind of, you know, Kang the Conqueror out a little bit <laughs> in parts of it. Well, let me give the synopsis. So the synopsis is Killmonger fights Kang the Conqueror while Valkyrie looks on. <laughs> so that's the, no, that's not, that's not. It. Anyway, uh, continue on. And Mrs. Huxtable is there. And Mrs. Huxtable is there. Yeah. Um, but okay. So the real synopsis. The real synopsis. So as we pick up, it's however many years since since Creed two. Uh, Adonis has retired. He retired on top. He was like the unified champ at three belts. He's promoting and and coaching. I guess yeah, I running the gym and yeah, I say coaching the current world champion Felix. Um, when an old buddy of his, played by Jonathan Majors comes back into his life as a person he used to know as a young man. In the group home yep. where he was before before Mrs. Marianne Creed. Yeah. Um Marianne or Mary Lynn? Marianne. Mary um came and like took him into her home. Um so in the last 18 years uh Damien. Ja- yeah Damien Dame is played by, yeah, as Jonathan Majors has been in prison. He's been in prison the last 18 years and he wants to come back and get a shot. Yeah, he wants to come out and reclaim his dream as of being the world champion, feeling that Adonis kind of got, not just owes him, but that he he got to live the life that uh, Jonathan Majors always wanted. And this film is... I think of of all the Creed movies, this is the one you could really say is really... Creed's story. Um, Rocky is not a part of this. He doesn't. Right, he's not even in it. No, at all. no cameo. Uh, Sylvester Stallone did produce it. Right. Um, but so there's no hangover from the previous movies. Right. There's no there's, loose ends. Yeah, there's because like the first one. He is it the first one he fights Drago? No, it's the first. The first one is just him trying to reclaim his name and make right. a name for himself. And the second one he's fighting. Then he Dra- fights yeah, Drago Junior. Drago Junior. And then um, now it's totally his own story. Yeah. So and it's dealing with his past, his life, right. and and his legacy, and not not necessarily his father's legacy. What did you think of the storyline? I thought the storyline was pretty good, uh, honestly. Um, I think, and I, I'll probably restate this towards the end of the review, is that after I saw the second Creed, the one of the first things I, I thought was, just stop. <laughs> you know, the story is done. It was great. 
I don't know where else to go with it. And you they, said that after the first Creed. I too. said that after the first Creed. <laughs> yes, I did. And I think if they had to come back and do a third one, that taking it back to and making it Adonis's story and him having to deal with his past and not necessarily his father's past was the right way to go. Um, you got to kind of see that it, it's kind of a, a cliche story a little bit. But as we kind of talked about with the Champions Review, a cliche story is not a bad thing if you tell it in an interesting way with interesting characters. I think that they did do some twists on that cliche that kind of made it work. Um, One of the subplots, I don't even know if you would call it a subplot, one of the other things going on is that Tessa Thompson, um, as his wife, is she's going deaf. And not performing musically anymore, but producing for other people. And their daughter, um, Amari, I think, yeah, is is completely deaf and going to deaf school and having issues with wanting to fight people. Um, and he kind of seeing his kid through new eyes and wanting her to be able to stand up for herself, but also coming to terms with the fact like you might have you know, this residual anger or even, you know, hereditary like trauma that has passed down in the DNA um, that, that his daughter is having to deal with. Well, how to help kind of cope through that. Kind of going back to what we were talking about in the introduction about toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. is that the thrust of this film, aside from uh, Adonis (laughs) thrust, Aside from Adonis trying to face his past and reconcile with the mistakes he made as a young man, um, in terms of his interpersonal relationships, it's about him learning to open up. He's retired from boxing, so he can't, he doesn't have that outlet for his anger. And this is, this is a through line because this was a, this was part of the plot of the first Creed is that he had all this anger and, you know, he was learning to channel it. Right. But now that he doesn't have that, he has to learn to open up. And he's having a very hard time doing that. He... And reconciling his childhood. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that I do like seeing in movies, because it is so real to life, is when you have kids, and especially if you have had trauma in your childhood, when your kid hits that age where you had your own significant trauma then it becomes so much more visceral and you almost have to deal with it over again. And, you know, I had trauma when I was a kid from the ages of like four to six. And every one of my daughters, when they hit that age, I kind of went back through it and had to, um, had to do healing again from that trauma. And so that's, you know, that age where he's at is when, or his daughter is at the age he was when he went into that group home and seeing your kid at that age and thinking, holy crap, that is who I was. And if something like that ever happens to my child, what would I do? Like, that's a whole thing. Like that is a whole, (laughs) that is a whole mood. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Um, I love speaking of, we talked about representation of movies Mm -hmm. And one of the my favorite things in this movie was the representation of adaptive technology 
and resources that they use and don't even like call it out really much or anything to just like it's just there right it's just part of their it's part of their life you know it's their daughter's death things like the signing signing that's the major thing but like their doorbell when someone when someone rings their doorbell lights flash go on and off mm -hmm. they have a glass floor on the second floor so that they can look up and sign, sign to her and she can look down and see them signing um one of the times at the very end when they're dancing they're celebrating they're yeah. dancing and celebrating they have the music hooked up to kind of a color strobe light mm -hmm. so that she can quote unquote hear the music right you know and again none of this is ever called out or on a soapbox it's just this is what we did yeah and i don't know that if you weren't someone who is part of the disability community i don't know that you would so much notice it um as much as be like oh cool their floor is glass you yeah. know um but seeing seeing adaptive things just kind of incorporated in was i think really well awesome. i think i think that's a good segue into and this is something again we talked about with the champions um review and let, let's talk about the young actor who right. plays his daughter right who uh actually is deaf she is myla davis kent myla davis kent um is a deaf girl um and <laughs> uh her instagram it like has the little subtitle black deaf girl magic and it's just it's just awesome um and she she was phenomenal she was, she was so great. good she was in great. this movie like amazing performance yes and like you don't you don't miss anything by her being deaf like there's not no. it's not any less powerful because she's deaf the only thing now here's something uh this didn't take away from the movie but it was something i kept thinking about uh watching it's like so you're a boxer so your main, your job is to punch people. What happens if you break your hand and you're unable to sign with it? Oh, that would suck. And that, yeah. and there, and therefore, a major aspect of your communication with your child is cut off. Right. You know, and I, that's not something I don't feel like the the movie lacked anything by not having that touched upon but it was something i was always concerned about or something that um because his daughter wants to fight like you said she has that kind of she has the creed blood yeah um, she's very good but but nobody kind of ever makes the point to her is like what happens if you break your hand right you know what happened you know that's gonna severely limit your communication abilities you know I don't know. Maybe it was something they could have touched on. Maybe not. I don't know. Just something. I, I honestly think that in ten years we're going to get an Amari Creed movie. Uh, it would not. It would not surprise me. We may, let, let's let's hold on to that. So, um, so great performance there. Great performances all around. I don't think we really have to no go into great detail. You look at this cast. I did enjoy that. There is a significant difference. I think that Jonathan Majors has kind of an overall oeuvre. But I feel like Diamond Dame is a lot different than King the Conqueror. Yeah. Like, I felt like, you know, you could really 
there was a significant difference and you really get over that Kang the Conqueror thing in the first couple of minutes. Yeah. Well, this is one of those films. It's really amazing, especially with, you know, this one and Ant-Man coming out so close together <laughs> and holding those two performances up mm-hmm. and going, man, this guy, this guy's got a range and this yeah. guy can do, um, do a lot. I wonder and- if he's going to get pigeonholed into being a jerk though i don't know but here's the thing i almost he plays... think he needs to do like a romantic comedy next maybe yeah <laughs> um but I, I i i don't fear that so much for him because again the differences in the kang villain and this villain are so vast yeah it does show a lot of you range. know if i think i i don't think he he's gonna have that problem or i hope not Tessa Thompson doing I mean, her beautiful thing. Come on, Tessa Thompson's amazing. She really is. And again, you'll hold hold this performance up to Valkyrie. Valkyrie. And they're like, it's like night and day. Like mm-hmm. you I you'd be forgiven for not thinking they're the same person. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I would say. You know. Uh, Felicia Rashad was Yeah, was and got you know, it's Felicia Rashad. Yeah. I mean, come on and what Plus, a like you got to see like a lot of your favorites come back from the other you know i think that he really incorporated a lot of the boxers from his earlier movies yeah but yeah a lot of that a lot of returning characters Mm -hmm. um i love that he brought drago back right as both and and you kind of get to see and i want to talk about this scene um here in a minute um but i like that they that he brought drago back and like obviously whatever bad blood they had they they smoothed over mm-hmm. they're working together they see each other like drago is his sparring partner when he's training yep you know so i i, I love that so I, this is kind of apropos of nothing so non non sequiturs into this but this is something i noticed um one of the things i loved about this movie and i love about the creed franchise is it has complete three-dimensional characters. Right. There is, and I think as much as I love the Rocky movies, especially when you get into the middle of them, the Clubber Langs, the Ivan Dragos, these are cartoon characters. Right. You know, you know, the they are there to be the bad guy. Yeah. You can't really call them three-dimensional characters. Ivan Drago became a three-dimensional character retroactively because of Creed Two, but for just Rocky Four, no, he's he's just the bad guy, robotic bad guy. Yeah. Um, but the Creed films, and I think you can attribute this to Ryan Coogler's influence, mm-hmm. um, is that all of the characters are very three-dimensional. And what makes me say that is there the scene at the very end. There's a scene that was cut from Creed 2. And I'm very mad it was cut because I think it's an important scene and they should have left it in. And it's after the final fight, uh, Adonis goes into the locker room and he sits down next to Drago Jr. Mm-hmm. And he says to him, you're more than just this fight. Right. And it was such a beautiful scene and illustrates the difference between the generations. Right. Because the 80s, you beat the bad guy and that's it. The bad guy's vanquished. But in the modern era, you beat this person and you're, these men are more interested in not repeating the mistakes of the past. Right. And he goes and basically tells him, don't make the same mistake your father did and make your whole life about this one, mm-hmm. one night. 
And I was mad that scene was cut. And I have a feeling Michael B. Jordan was mad that scene was cut because they have an almost identical scene at the end of this one where he goes to Jonathan Majors and they have a discussion and kind of reconcile. Right. You know, that even after everything Jonathan Majors did. Right. He still, Michael, you know, Creed still says, you know, I'm sorry for what I did as a kid. I'm so, I'm not blameless. Right. You know. And Jonathan Majors does kind of come around and, and say, you know, that wasn't really on you and it never really was. Yeah. You know, um, so speaking of that and Michael B. Jordan keeping things in, what did you think about the directorial style? Um, I think I think Michael B. Jordan has a great career as a director. I think yeah. there's some great directing going on and there's just some really good shots or some yeah. really good um, compositions. I think, though... And we talked about this. Right. The last fight scene. The last fight scene, I feel, and this happens with a lot of young directors, um, I think it was a little over-directed. I think, yeah, I think it started off really strong and then it kind of went too much. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, it pulled back and it was better. But, like, there was a couple of special effects that really were not necessary. Yeah. So so what he does is, and during the final fight, and, of course, the final fight is this big hoopla in the middle of Dodger stadium yeah. and thousands of people. But because it's a fight between these two men right during the fight, like everything whites out. Yeah. The audience kind of fades out and it's just the two of them focusing on beating the crap out of each other. So it's like silent and it's just the two of them in the ring. And that was great. But then he has this imagery of like the jail cells and um, <laughs> like, and kind of these fast shots that just weren't necessary. Yeah. And I, it, it ran the risk of making it comical. Cartoony, yeah. yeah. Like when the jail cell sprung, I'm like, Oh, steel cage match. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, so. it was like, you know, it, it didn't need that. So one of the things that I really enjoyed with this is that they took the classic Rocky tropes and kind of did their own spin on them. You know, like, You've got this scene where no Diamond Dame is working out in front of the crowds, much like Apollo Creed did in Rocky Two, and you know Rocky did with Clever Lang in Rocky Three, and then you've got a very Rocky Four training sequence yeah. for for creed for adonis yeah where he's like in a barn somewhere and he's pulling a plane and and i said he's gonna need a mountain for this training <laughs> yeah. sequence. and then like two seconds later there he is running up a mountain in the training sequence i called it but it was enjoyable yeah no it was like, totally enjoyable. it was it was it was that just right amount of hokey Yes. Because that's part of what makes... You need to have a training sequence. You've got to have a training you sequence. You need that because that is what gets anybody, like, I don't care who you are. You watch a Rocky training sequence. You're like, I'm going to go freaking... Yeah, I got to go lift some weights. Yeah. Ha-ha! da da got to go run up some steps. Well, even like, even things like uh, the music at the very end when, spoiler alert, you know, when Creed wins and they play mm-hmm. the the music from like the end of Rocky where he won the fight. Right. Da, 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 you know. Yep. You know, it oh. is very much but but they like I said, they take the Rocky trope and they turn it on its own. When in Rocky two, 
Rocky decides he's got to fight Apollo Creed again. Adrian is against it. She's like, she can't understand why he's going to do this. He's going to get hurt. Why do you want to do this? You have a good job. And in this movie, when Adonis is saying to Bianca that, you know, I'm going to have to fight him. There's only one way to stop him. And she's just fully behind him. Yeah. Jumps on board right away. You know, like just is totally a full partner with it. So like you see these similarities to the movies before, but it really, this movie really makes it their own. You know, here's an interesting thing. This is one of the things that I, I, I it, it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the film, but it is something that uh, I thought of is that uh, when Creed decides I've got to go fight this guy, I wasn't really sure why. I mean, Yes, uh, Dame like lied and cheated and and sabotaged things to trick Adonis into giving him the title match. Right, but well, after and cheated in the title. Yeah, match. yeah, yeah, and cheated in the title. But then he's like, "I'm gonna come for everything you've got." We never see that. Like you don't see him like actively yeah, trying to take over the gym. No, all you hear is that he's trash talking him. It's like, well, and say you know really like bad mouthing him and going after him yeah but come on you can i feel like if they would have added all that stuff in it would have made the movie too long and you would have complained about that probably i'm just saying that it's like i I think (laughs) their their justification for why he had to fight him um i think they could have made it a little clearer that it was a personal choice uh, no. I don't know. Well, yeah, obviously it's a personal choice, but I really think that was the only way to to defeat him, really. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. I I really did like the way that you know you really see the beauty, and that's one of the things that I've always loved about the Rocky movies is, like you said, how much he loved Adrian, mm. and this you really there's no hint of you know, him being attracted to someone else. There's no hint of, um, I'm going to go to the strip club or sleep around with somebody or, you know, like it's always, I, it always cherishes that relationship. Yeah. And I would almost, I would make the argument that I think Bianca is kind of a more well-rounded character than Adrian. Well, yeah. You know, um, I also, I, okay. So we're talking about directing. Let me talk about this. Um, you were, you were out of the, the theater for this. Um, when Felicia Rashad's character dies, when she has her stroke and she's in bed and Adonis comes to see her, there is this heartbreaking speech that she gives where she thinks that Adonis is Apollo and she's touching his face and saying, he's just like you. He's just like you, Apollo. And it, and the way Michael B. Jordan's face is tilted and the way it's lit, he looks like Carl Weathers. Oh my gosh. Like it. So there is uh, an example of real, of, of good directing. I'm glad I missed that part. I would have been crying for the rest um, of the movie. There's one other thing I want to say <laughs> before, cause we're, we're running out of time here and we're going we're gonna to have to wrap up. Um, there was one thing I was very happy about mm-hmm. that, because it's something I've been, I've been bitching about since the first Creed movie. Oh, so not Michael B. Jordan taking off a shirt? No. What? You were very happy about that. Okay, let, let's just say that. Michael B. Jordan and, and Jonathan, Jonathan Majors. Holy shit. Like, like, I don't want this to sound bad enough, but Jonathan Majors looks scary. Like, 
scary jacked. Like he was like so many muscles. It looks painful. Oh my god! Like yeah, <laughs> and you don't see them until he gets in the ring. Like he obviously yeah. is always wearing these like sweatshirts. And, yeah, like, like hoodies and everything up. And not until he gets in the ring and takes off his. his yeah, rope. do you see like how and you're like freaking what like massive he is? So yeah. kudos to those guys and what they had to put their bodies through to get in that kind of shape, uh, because it was it was insane. Yeah. Okay, and okay. we're back. So it's a quick break there. Yeah, so here's here's the thing that I was I was getting to. Okay, one we got sidetracked by yeah. Michael B. Jordan shirtless. Hey, you know <laughs> again, no shame. No. No shame. Um and that is and again, this is all they needed was a line, and I'm glad they did this. Um when Michael B. Jordan is having his fight with Felicia Rashad due to you know because of plot circumstances, um he says that Dane, Jonathan Major's character, treated me more like a brother than any of your kids ever did. Right. And that's something I've been wondering about since the first Creed film is that we see in, I think, Rocky 3 or 4, Apollo had other kids. Right. And we never hear about them in any of these other Creed films. And I've always been curious. It's like, what was that relationship like? Right. You know, who... He would have been younger than them. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, but they they still must have had... Some kind... I mean, they would have had some re- interaction. Yeah. You know. So, especially since he was living with their mother, you know? Yeah, husband. exactly. So, and I was always very curious, like, what was that... What was that relationship? So... It's a small throwaway line, not even a throwaway line, but I'm glad that they at least brought it up because it's something that's been bugging me. I always hate when films do that. You know, now this is a when great retcon kids. Or not or not even retcon, but just they completely ignore an important fact, you know. Right. Now this is a great film franchise. Let me compare it to a shitty reboot franchise in the Jurassic World movies. When, you know, in the second one, we're like, we've got to get these dinosaurs off this island because it's going to blow up. It's like, wasn't there an entire second island that had dinosaurs on it? <laughs> and then they're like, we've got to, we'll get these dinosaurs off of it and then we'll have to find some place for them to live. It's like, what about that second damn island? Yeah. And it's like, okay, are we just, pre- at first I'm like, are we just pretending those movies didn't exist? But then they quote those movies. So clearly they did. So I hate when movies do that. You're like, look, this happened. Don't pretend it didn't. Right. (laughs) Anyway. So back to the Rocky verse. (laughs) Back to the Rocky verse. Uh, But yeah, that was, that was a good inclusion. I thought. Yeah. Um, Any qualms? No. Um, Aside from, uh, little things like, you know, like, like I say, being over-directed. I do feel like this, of the three Creed films, I think this was kind of, I, I don't want to say the weakest, because it was a good movie. Um, but I can you can kind of tell that they're they're getting to the end of the, of the Creed story. Right. Um, so I, 
I I really loved it. I thought the acting was great. I thought the characters were fantastic. Um, the direction was pretty good for, you know... First time director. First For a first time director, yeah. And um, I'll just restate kind of what I what we said earlier is that I'm, I'm going to say it again, and I don't mind being proven wrong in these instances, <laughs> but I kind of hope that they just leave it there. They stop. Yeah. Like, like you said, if 10 years from now we get a, a, Mario, Creed. a Mario Creed movie, I'm fine with that. You pass it on to the next generation like, right. like Creed did. I think that would be really interesting it would too, be. to take the perspective of what it must be like to be a deaf athlete. Yeah. So I, I think you could do that. Um, but I, I, I really, and again, but the other thing about it, and we've mentioned this too, is that one of the things that the Creed movies have kind of been, aside from this great continuation of the Rocky franchise, is they've been a place where young black directors get their start kind of yeah kind of get their start on a major mm -hmm. stage you know ryan coogler mm -hmm. he'd never directed anything that big before and then he went on to do black panther right um the gentleman who directed the second one whose name i am blanking on i'm looking it up right now he, Keep talking. he's gonna be directing and this isn't a, you know who knows it might be good but he's directing the next transformers movie Right. So he's getting a huge shot at a big franchise. Stephen Capel Jr. Yeah. And so so I, I have no doubt that if a new young black director mm -hmm. came to them and said, I have an idea of something I want to do with this franchise and with this character, I don't doubt that Stallone, Kugler, and Jordan would be like, all right, cool, let's do it. Right. You know, to get, if for no other reason than to get this kid, you know, in true Rocky fashion to give the, the rookie uh, the chance. The underdog. Yeah. Yeah. What would be interesting is if the next iteration is done by a black woman director. That would be really interesting. So, yeah. Let's, so. let's hear. Let's, we're going to say 10 years. We're going to have Amari Creed. And done by a black woman director. Uh, and, and I would be there for that. Yep. I'd be very there for that. I'd be very excited to see that. So, um, all right. I, I, I do think the Creed movies, if this is the last one for a while, I think they have a great legacy. They do. And a, a legacy that is, and much like Adonis himself, a legacy that continues on from, uh, from the great films that that they spawned from but added their own voice and their own right their own take on they made it their own right which is what a good franchise and a good character and a good world should do and you feel like these movies keep going on because they're a story that wants to be told you know you have some other franchises like <coughs> fast and furious <laughs> that are just movies being made to be made when you have these, when it's a story that should be told, not just a movie that needs to be made, you know? So, well, yeah. Yeah. And, and without getting too philosophical or deep, but kind of like Rocky was when he came around, they're characters that we kind of need when we need them. Right. You know, and people kind of forget that and why Rocky was so important is that at the time it was made, I mean, that was a downtime. Yeah. 
And here comes this scrappy underdog who gets the shit kicked out of him, but still, you know, manages to pull through and, you know, pull himself up out of the dirt. That's what people needed. And I think that that's true of Creed. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for other people, but especially, you know, black audiences, young black men, you know, mm-hmm. need that positive that positive hero. And I, I, I would say that I think Creed's a great role model. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so I can see people falling in love with these movies and then meaning just as much to an audience now as the Rocky films did back in the day. It does make our Rocky verse, uh, marathons a lot longer. It does. That's the only downside. <laughs> you really got to plot. You really got to plot them out. Nine movies now. Yep. And, and, uh, and if they and if they do do an Amari Creed one, I would be there for that. So yeah, so. I would I would agree with you. I think we've got great performances. We got a great story, and I will very likely watch it again and again and again. Yep. Same here. All mm-hmm. right. So uh, so we're, this should, this is pretty much uh, academic here, but let's let's wrap it up. So final grade, final grade for you, Creed three. It's got to be an A plus. You know, I did think that the 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 special effects in the last scene were a little over the top, but they kind of redeemed themselves with a really great shot of a of a double punch. So mm. yeah, I'm gonna go A plus. You know what? I'm going to go an A plus as well. And kind of the same thing you were, you were saying is that uh, even with the things that I mentioned that are kind of the weaknesses of a young director, I at least respect that he was trying to do something and to add a visual element to the story, to do something that hadn't been done right before in that, in this franchise. So, you know, may, they don't always stick the landing. Right. You know, it's, but you, you have to experiment in order to know that. So I, uh, I look forward to whatever Michael B. Jordan directs next. I think he has a great career, not just as an actor, but as a director now. So, yep. um, so yeah, this is a great film. I think maybe the first truly great film of the year that I would, I would say. Probably. I can't remember what all we've watched this year. (laughs) And uh, coming up next will either be Scream 6 or uh, some obscure movie we haven't decided on yet. Yep. So, so, yeah. So, thank you for joining me. Thank you for another beautiful date night. Thank you. My love. Um, We do have to get better at the dinner part of it. Yeah, we keep going to restaurants (laughs) that are about to close. Yeah. Um, But anyway... Um, So thank you for that. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, We'll see you next time. And as always, drive safe and we'll see you at the movies.